it's an incredibly common trope in television and movie getting rid of the human body in a vat of acid even the most recent rick and morty cartoon kind of touched on the acid bath as a method of disposing of a body but one guy took it a little bit too far john hay You're listening to Old Timey Crimey, crimes from the golden age of yesteryear. Now, here are your hosts, Christy, Amber, and Scott. Hey, it's Old Timey Crimey. I'm Christy. I'm Scott. And I'm Amber. And we are here this week to talk about a murder or several, but first we're going to real quick give you our rays of light. Uh, Scott, you go first this week, putting you on the spot. I had shrimp wrapped in bacon with brown sugar on it for breakfast this morning. Because welcome (laughs) to the fucking apocalypse, and I just don't care. (laughs) That's beautiful. um, Mine is not necessarily so much of a it's not it's not a specific it's an anecdote it's just a quick anecdote uh jackson had a question about something and i looked it up i'm sitting there on the couch and i give him the information and then i'm like and uh by the way my source for this is the you know harvard medical school's website and he goes my source for this conversation is (laughs) (laughs) like oh my god i'm podcasting in real life (laughs) that is outstanding how about Um, you amber my ray of light is good car people. So um, I'm, I'm going to uh, just give a shout out to Cells Auto in Johnstown because they're awesome and I love them. Um, so you guys know I, my, my transmission got rebuilt and everything from the dealership. The car was making a terrible noise. I took it to Cells. They fixed everything, gave me an oil change, put new wiper blades on my car for 75 bucks. Whoa. Damn. Whoa. Holy shit. I love them so much. And they're so funny because they actually called me and they're like, I noticed that you have uh, new wiper blades in your car. Did you want us to put those on? And I'm like, please. And like I told Marcus last night, I was like, if I leave them in the car, they're going to know I want them on and they're going to do it for me because why not? And um, he's like, they're not just going to do it. And so they called me. They're like, is it okay if we do this? I'm like, fuck yes. (laughs) This is what happens when you're a MILF. I love them. Like I used to walk there cause I worked downtown. So I would walk over there and like, I would like drop my car off in the morning and walk to work and then pick it up after work for whatever I needed. And um, they didn't even have appointments this week. And they're like, it's you. So just bring it down. And he, he actually called to make fun of me. He goes, when I hear that you're bringing me a car, I assume that something pretty serious has snapped in half. I was pleasantly surprised that it was a quick fix. <laughs> I'll be damned. They know me. But I love them, and they're wonderful. So I just wanted to give a quick shout-out, because they're my ray of light this week. <laughs> That's a good ray of light. Mm-hmm. Scott said, I'll be damned. Another guy who would be damned. Oh. <laughs> John Hay, the acid bath murderer. He was born on July 24th, 1909, in England, to a conservative, well-to-do family he is the rare only child murderer. We don't have too many of those, especially in these days when everybody had seven children. He probably killed Nathan. I, I wouldn't be surprised. Like, I, I did a little back hits backstory on this family. I wouldn't be surprised if they 
killed the not pretty children. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. There, there's something for a family. His father was a engineer slash. He also worked as a coal mine manager. Coal mining was big in this this area they were in. Uh, his parents were uh, of the Plymouth Brethren religion, which is also called the Peculiar People. <laughs> yep. If that isn't a red flag, I don't know what is. Uh, I mean, we're peculiar, but they're capital letters, the peculiar people. They, they believe they... that Bible stories were the only form of entertainment. And it's the ultimate authority, too. Like, these Bible <laughs> stories will tell us everything and we must follow them, which is kind of ridiculous. I'm sorry, and... the Bible's boring as fuck. And it's also not tenable to live by. You can't, you can't do that. Now, this religious upbringing seemed to have some effect on him. He said he had religious nightmares when he was young. He grew up in Outwood, which is a pit village. And, of course, I had to look that up, which is just – it's a coal town, basically. It's a settlement built by a coal company where they house workers. It's a coal town. Company town. Yeah. We know all about that here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do. <laughs> Apparently, rhubarb grows really well in that area from the ash and the soot in the soil, which I didn't also didn't know that. But our uh, our old house, we had amazing rhubarb there, and that literally that house had a coal room. So <laughs> you know what, my folks had because they, they lived right up by your old house. They had this rhubarb plant that they tried to kill every year because they didn't really like rhubarb, and it just kept growing back bigger and bigger and bigger. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's because of all the, the coal mining that was done in this area. Good to and know. still is. There are no great British pub names in that area except maybe the Malt Shovel, which we'll have a couple pub names later because we're going to move around a bit. Now, John Hay was big on music, and he was pretty good at it. He was, and you'll excuse me. Now you won't excuse me for saying so, but I'll say it anyhow. A killer on the piano. Fuck. <laughs> Things were going he so also, well for us, too. Right? He also sang in the choir. He did seem to have a mischievous side. He liked to climb into the cathedral tower and change the tower clock just to mess with people, which is kind of funny. <laughs> it's kind of funny. <laughs> like, what time is it? It's noon. Well, the sun's all the way on the horizon, so I don't think so. Uh, still, he would later tell people that his childhood was very bleak and lonely. He only had a few pets as friends. He didn't have actual friends because his parents really were against the outside world. His father believed essentially that the entire world was evil and you had to keep everybody inside. He even built a really tall fence to do that. They wouldn't have him have too much contact with other people. But he did seem to do well in school. He got, he got a couple scholarships. I mean, that was impressive. There was a weird thing with a birthmark, uh, or what I'm terming a birthmark. It's like a bluish mark his father has on his head. And he tells John Hay, he's like, this is a devil's mark. But your mother, your saintly mother, she has no devil's mark because she is an angel. And this made him terrified that he would do something that would make him wear what he called the sign of the devil. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Religion. How to fuck up your kids 101. This was the 20th century. This was happening in the fucking 20th century and you know what it's probably still happening i know it's still happening today churches are going like when are we going to open up again god will protect us kenny copeland said so fucking hell exactly 
And this really did mess him up. Uh, he was so terrified of this. And then at some point, he committed some childish infraction. You know, he played a prank. He lied about something. And when he did that and he didn't get this this blemish that he was terrified of, he kind of seemed to get this sense of invincibility. Like, if I didn't get the mark of the devil, then everything I do must be fine. God is dead because I don't have a mole. <laughs> right? No, I do have, I have a quote here from, he wrote a paper when he was a kid, and it really kind of, kind of defines him later on. We may well learn the lesson that one fall, even though it be met by perfect grace and full restoration, does not cure a natural disposition. What a pompous asshole. Yes, yes, even <laughs> as a child. He did follow in his father's footsteps. He apprenticed at an engineering company. He also, I read, he ran an electrical news sign on top of a movie theater, which I guess that's a job. Why not? I just picture sign. I just picture him like hand cranking a generator. But you know what? Like sawdust collector was a thing. Yeah. So I mean, why not? That's true. Yeah. What do you do for a living? I'm a gizzard tester. <laughs> <laughs> then he moved on to insurance and advertising. But at age 21, he was fired, uh, and there were some suspicions of theft hanging over his head. 1934 comes around and this is the big year this is the year he got married and had a kid and went to jail <laughs> i love i love how wikipedia puts it they go wikipedia goes early life marriage and imprisonment like they're one and the same well <laughs> they were they were because like they were only married for like what a, a few months when he went to jail so they yeah. were like right on top of each other yeah, he married Beatrice Hamer. She was 23, and that was on July 20, or sorry, July 6, 1934. Uh, and then on in October of that same year, he ends up in jail. He had been working for a car rental place or pretending to work for a car rental place. One way or the other, he forged some documents in order to get commission, and he was discovered. So he gets in uh, tossed in the clink for that while his uh, his wife, Beatrice, is pregnant. And she does end up having a baby girl. The baby is adopted. And she basically hightailed it away from him. Don't be expecting to see her for a really long time. And then she'll just make a real quick brief appearance. His family really shunned him over this. Uh, he was in for 15 months. He did actually see Beatrice once more to say, hey, by the way, I was married before, so our marriage isn't even valid, which was a lie. Of course it was. That's but So I actually looked this up because I was curious. So during this time, the divorce rate was 1.3 per 1,000 people. Yeah, because women weren't allowed to initiate divorce. Wow. So like for, for 1,000 people, 1 1.3, meaning the divorce rate was 0.13%. Wow. But you remember, I think we talked about it in the Edith Thompson case, maybe, how it wasn't until um, the Matrimonial Causes Act of 1937 made divorce easier to access, particularly for women. That's, I'm reading straight off Wikipedia, by the way. Who until then could not get a divorce merely on grounds of adultery, as men could. Women needed to show more causes than adultery, such as incest, sodomy, or cruelty. We're really, we've always been real nice to women. We're, we're, we're good. With, yeah. Yeah. We're real nice. 
Hey, I'm just saying, some people enjoy sodomy. <laughs> I'm not going to argue that. Um, but <laughs> I forgot where I was going. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> but, like, more power to her because I, I really am kind of curious as to how she got the divorce in a time that it was so difficult. But um, oh. I don't think she got a divorce. I think she just left. Like, she just went away. I think they were still actually technically married the whole time because I don't know if I ever saw anything about a divorce just that she left him, right? I haven't seen anything about a divorce. Not a thing. I, I had one that said his wife divorced him. That's why I was going with divorce. Mm. But you're right. I do have others that are his wife left him. So I, I wonder about that. Hmm. Yeah, divorce wouldn't have been easy for her to procure, although with all of his st shit that he did, it eventually would have been easy once it all came out, you know? Or, or him saying that he was already married. If she presents that and they don't ask for evidence, that could work too. Yeah. Potentially. So he is released and starts up a dry cleaning business. It's actually, he has a partner in the dry cleaning business. Everything's going really well. And then his partner is killed in a car crash or possibly a motorcycle crash. I haven't done this in a while, but sources very wildly. Oh, I've missed that. <laughs> yeah, I've missed that a lot. I got reminded of that by uh, our good friend Johnny Eponymous on Twitter a week or two ago. And I was like, I need to do that again. Also, the speculation, ramp, rampant speculation. <laughs> In 1936, he moves to London, where he works as a chauffeur for the McSwan family, whose name is spelled differently in every single source. Right? <laughs> Two N's. Uh, M-A-C. Uh, yeah, it's just... McSwain. Yeah, and it was just like, this guy owned arcades and, and amusement yeah. machines, and it's just like... You'd think he would have had, like, his name on it, and everybody could have got it right. But no, I'm honestly surprised they didn't find one with the, uh, the old-time F for the S, McFwain. McFwain. <laughs> oh, and here's one called McFwan. Fantastic. McFwan. <laughs> that definitely sounds like flan that you get at McDonald's. No, I was thinking, so, you know, an Irish-Asian family, the McFwans. <laughs> Yeah, he does. He works as a chauffeur, and then he seems to work for the actual company and some places say worked his way up to manager. Although, again, a lot of what we have is his word, and he is a rampant liar. That's, like, his favorite pastime. If he's listing his hobbies, he's like, I like to lie, and then I like to prevaricate, and then I like to fabricate, uh, and then I like to exaggerate. I like to lie, or do I? Hmm? Yeah. Well, he, he created an alter ego with this, though, too. William Adamson. William his... Cato Adamson. <laughs> oh, I didn't realize yeah. it was a middle name. Yeah, William Cato and Adamson. Just going right to the uh, fucking OJ trial with this one. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah he, he basically was posing as an estate lawyer who had a lot of rich clients who were also dead. And they have these – this is my understanding of the swindle. I'm, it, tell me if I, if I understand it incorrectly. He needs to sell shares of the stock that they own from their estates. And, oh, look, they're, they're super cheap because I need to get rid of them now. So, does that sound yes. right to you guys? Yes. Yeah. Uh. Okay. I just want to make sure. Swindle it, it was going sometimes. great until he misspelled his own fake name. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so misspelling, th there's an interesting piece of history that has to do with misspellings. 
there was a piece of paper that the Allies had during World War II that would allow certain diplomats onto 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 certain military bases, right? Unfortunately, the word intelligence was misspelled <laughs> on this. They were able to bust so many fucking Nazi spies because whenever the Germans translated everything in their amazing efficiency, they corrected the word intelligence. <laughs> so they, they would look at it and go, oh, yeah, uh, the word intelligence is spelled correctly here. There's two L's. Yeah, go on ahead in and go to the left. And they, they drive to the left and all of a sudden... 500 missiles pointed right at you, you Nazi bastard, into the clink. You're going to be dancing with the hangman's daughter. <laughs> yeah, he is busted because of a misspelling, much like a Nazi. Um, <laughs> but in reverse. <laughs> but in reverse. Uh, some some say that he misspelled his, his own name, or his fake name, rather. Uh, and other places say that he misspelled the, the, the town where his lawyer business was run from which was guildford surrey and like took the u out in the letterhead <laughs> which is beautiful so yes spelling does matter mm -hmm. in 1937 uh he was sentenced to four years in jail uh he was actually out in august 1940 just in time to um well or 1932 Nine. It's confusing. There again, sources really very wildly on this one. It is kind of insane. One way or the other, he went back in and out of jail, and he finally realized that he was doing everything wrong. He sat down and he really thought about his actions. He was like, "I, I need to examine my life. I need to examine my actions. I need to make a change. I need to start killing the people I defraud." I love that. That was where he went, though. Yeah. Let's see. Like instead I, of like get a real job and do well, I should just kill all the witnesses. That would be better. Yeah. yeah. He he yeah. becomes fascinated with uh with his criminal named Giorgio Sarangini, uh who who later changed his name to Georges Alexander Serret, who was an Italian born French criminal, actually the last person to be executed in uh I'm gonna mispronounce this, but you know what? Aisin Provence. Uh, You're actually really close. I think, to my surprise, because I looked up the pronunciation on that, I think they actually do pronounce the X, and I was shocked by that. It's une province. There we go. I was like, a letter that you pronounce in French? What? And <laughs> here's the deal. Uh, our, uh, our Johnny boy must have only read half the story because, uh, you know, things don't end well for old Giorgio. He gets guillotined. Yeah, yeah, he gets guillotined by this, um, um, I don't want to say amazing, but unbelievable... Uh, French executioner. I've bookmarked him. I put him on our list, but I, I can only remember his first name at this moment, but it's Anatole something, and we are going to do an entire episode on this guy, guys. Yeah. Because Anat Anatole Diebler. Thank you. That's Anatole it. Anatole Diebler. Yeah, uh, but what really kind of hit John was the method of how old Giorgio got rid of the bodies, which, well, you, you've probably read the title of this, so you know how. <laughs> or listen to the intro, yeah. also a thing. Yeah, acid in a bath. What he did was he had all this time in jail to figure out how to dispose of them. Uh, so he's like, well, let's try the acid thing. He starts using, my understanding is, field mice in prison to see how well the acid worked. 
and uh, I, I solid to liquid in 30 minutes of your money back for those field mice. Um, and he uses that to do the math for human adult bodies. But where, where the fuck was he getting the acid? Right? Well, I don't get it. You know, I'm going to give you this, this cup of sulfuric acid. I don't want you using it on the bars to get out. You got it, John? Yes, sir. <laughs> you can use car battery acid, I looked up, to, to make sulfuric acid, but you also need a heat source and car battery acid? Where is he getting this in prison? I don't think they have it at the freaking commissary, right? There might have been something going on. He, depending on what they were making in the shop, they might have had some sort of... Uh, some sort of, of access to sulfuric acid, depending on depending on what they were what they were happening to be making, because um, yeah, they sulfuric acid. I doubt they were making paper, but I do know that sulfuric acid is used in making paper, which is hmm. why whenever you go to any any city that has a paper mill, it smells like all the farts, just all yes, of them. It's <laughs> There's one in Johnsonburg, I think it is, Pennsylvania, and I have been through that town, and I would rather not return. Right. It's, uh, and sulfur. It smells like sulfur. Sulfuric acid. I don't know if they happen to be making fertilizer. Fertilizer, uh, uses some sulfuric acid. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, pigments, enamel, uh, enamels, printing inks. They, the only way I could see him getting a hold of this is in the prison shop. They had to be using it in the prison shop or something. That's a really good point, Scott. I did not think of that. Yeah, the only the only catch I can find is why would either somebody nearby, another uh, another prisoner, or the guards not smell it when he was doing this and be like, if he did it in his cell, maybe he did it in the shop somehow. Maybe he had access to the shop. <gasps> okay, yeah, that's got to be it. <laughs> Figures it all out. Thank you, Scott. No, <laughs> I was really that was bothering me so much. No problem. No problem. So he gets out of jail in 1944. He gets into accounting at an engineering company. The pay is really pretty okay. good. Time out. Time out. Sure. So how is somebody that's going to jail for theft and forgery get a job in accounting? Lack of background checks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's, that's what I'm going to go with. I'm going to go with they just trusted that you had never been to jail for stealing something, much less been to jail multiple times for stealing something and forging things, and they just hire you on. Or uh, maybe he, he charmed them. He did seem to have, like, a charming quality. He could really, really kind of charisma his way into things. Have you ever been to jail? Nah. Kinda, <laughs> Twiddle's mustache. You, you kind of aren't selling it very well. I'm going to ask you one more time. Have you ever been to jail? No. <laughs> okay, I don't don't like the way the word dipped and rose, and I don't like the fact that you you waited a beat to answer. One it looks like time. you haven't worked anywhere yeah. in eight years. Where were you? Maybe. No, that's not. <laughs> God damn it. You're hired. You're, you're, you're really pale even for an Englishman. Did you just spend like a lot of time indoors? Like a lot? Quarantine. <laughs> So he, at this point in time, runs into William McSwan, who is of the McSwan family that he had worked for prior to that. 
prior to his last stint in jail, and they go to the Goat Tavern in Kensington. The Goat. The Goat. I love it. The Goat Tavern, uh, who's been there, which has been there for a long, long time. 1695. So, if you want to go there, it's still there. 3A Kensington High Street. Yes, and some British pubs near the Goat. I actually looked at the map, and I saw that Checkmate is near the Goat, and Jackson and I have been there. Oh, awesome. Nice. We we did stay in kind of the Kensington area when we were briefly in London several years ago. We went to Checkmate, which is decorated exactly as you would hope and expect. The floor is black and white squares and a checkerboard pattern, and there's also, like, red furniture. And, yeah, it's, it's a lovely, lovely bar. And we met uh, some or all, I can't remember, of the members of A-King, which is a South African melodic rock group. So uh, I would recommend their music. They're pretty good. Nice. Uh, now, weird... oh, go ahead. I was just saying it was a weird night. We went to a chess <laughs> bar and met a, a South African rock band. <laughs> Sounds like a good night. There are rumors that there are tunnels that link the pub, the goat, to Kensington Palace. I love those rumors and I want them to be true. Now, now no tunnel to the palace has yet been found, but come on. There are a lot of vaults under the road and tunnels into the grounds. So, oh man, that there's your Scooby-Doo mystery. Yeah. There are also around that area that that British tendency to call a pub the something arms seems to be really prevalent. You have the builder's arms, the queen's arms, Hollywood arms, Anglesey arms. It's it's like a freaking epidemic. Michelle Obama's um, arms. Michelle Obama's arms. Yes, that's right next to the Hollywood arms. And within 2.5 miles of the Goat Tavern, there uh, are two restaurants slash bars, one called the Grazing Goat and the other just called Goat. So it must get really confusing. <laughs> I'll meet you at the Goat. Which, which one? The Grazing one, the Goat Tavern, or Goat? The one next um, to that rap bar, the Michelle, Michelle Obama's Arms. <laughs> they just play rap there all night. It's just like weird versions of like old old rap songs. I love it when you call me Obama. <laughs> all right uh so john hey starts kind of getting close to the mcswan family again and they're also in addition to their amusement company they're investing in some income properties you know getting those rent checks and uh hey gets kind of interested in that a few months pass and this friendship is rekindling and john hey at one point, gets uh, McSwan to the basement of his workshop on 79 Gloucester Road. Now the and... basement of a Kentucky Fried Chicken. Yes, indeed. It's finger-licking good. Uh... Think about uh, that next time. I had to. Next time you're sucking down on a chicken leg in the KFC in Gloucester Road. Good. Oh, we haven't even gotten to the gross part yet, so they don't even know. <laughs> What to think about? Think about the fact that he took a guy to his workshop. Okay, I'm going to continue eating my chicken leg. If for some reason you happen to be eating that KFC, I'm just going to tell you stop the podcast right now. I'm. <laughs> By the way, I looked it up on Google Maps Street View, and it, it does not have the finger licking good on the window anymore. But it did at one point because you can go back in time and see previous Google Street View shots of it. In one of those shots, they did. They've done several remodels over the past like 10, 12 years or so. There is a sign. That says 90 seats downstairs. 
Oops. No! No! Yep, guys, let's go to England and eat in the basement where John Hay knocked his friend over the head with a pinball leg, pinball machine leg, killed him, and then disposed of his body in a 40-gallon drum with concent concentrated sulfuric acid. He used a fucking pinball machine leg. So, Motherfucker. I will, I will go, but I will not eat KFC. I refuse. <laughs> a fucking pinball. I hope that whenever he hit the guy... His eyes spun around real quick and that said tilt and then he died. <laughs> I know the pinball machine leg just kind of got me. I was like, really? What? That's just fuck, man. So it's quite a process. McSwan is taller than Hay is. So getting the corpse into the drum is pretty difficult. There's acid fumes. I mean, it's a lot of acid that gets really hot. It's a poorly ventilated basement it's tough to breathe and it took two days for the remains to turn to what's described as get ready to be grossed out a blackish sludge with red streaks ew gross well and he dumped that into a manhole i'm not hungry for soup anymore right yeah. yeah, I was planning on making bisque. It's not happening now. Mm -mm. Nope, done. <laughs> no bisque. Bisque, no. Uh, he, uh, or sorry, bisque, please. So he actually, he does a weird thing. It seems to be happening frequently as we proceed. When these things happen, there will be a red cross on his journal entry for that day. So he sits down and he puts his like chin on his hands and he's like, what should I write about in my diary i should write about how i had ice cream with sally and how my mom told me i was a very good boy and how i killed that guy and his body disintegrated into a blackish sludge with red streaks and the red streaks <laughs> look like this red red <laughs> the red streaks were pretty because i like red he really does actually we'll get into that um let me not deep into it but i'll just mention that he likes red eventually uh <laughs> you already did yeah, he is friends with uh, McSwan's parents, and they they start to worry because they're not seeing their son anymore. He just kind of disappeared. So Hay tells them, you know, there's this war thing going on, and McSwan was so afraid he was going to get picked up for the draft that he's off in Scotland dodging that, and even forges letters from William McSwan in order to fool them. And this guy, he he goes he goes pretty far. He's willing to do the extra leg work. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yes, he is. Uh, he basically ingrati ingratiates himself into their lives. He just kind of gets his fingers in there and just starts digging. He starts collecting the rent and even keeping the money. I mean, he just he's bold as brass, this dude. He's got, he's got brass balls. You can give him that. Damn. And those brass balls, they don't dissolve in acid. Nope. <laughs> right? So McSwan's parents are Donald and Amy, and the war is kind of coming to a close, and they're like, okay, so there's not really any chance of a draft now, so why isn't William home? And they start getting sort of suspicious. I do have to interject real quick a, a little bit of my favorite new Australian slang that I've learned from uh, one of my podcasts that I listen to is a bit sus. <laughs> oh, I say that's a bit sus. Exactly. Yes. Yes. It's it's my favorite, and I'm having to stop myself from using it because I don't want to sound like I know how I would sound if I said it. Um, <laughs> I'll do it for you. 
Much appreciated. <laughs> so you do it for fun. I would do it out of earnestness, which is the problem there. <laughs> <laughs> and so what do you know happens when they get a bit sus? Uh, Hay tells them, oh, look, William's home. He's going to surprise you. Come to my workshop. It'll be a reunion. And so uh, first he lures Donald McSwan there. Uh, and then this is July 2nd, 1945. Then he gets Amy McSwan to come. He says, oh, you know, Donald needs you over at my workshop, which uh, Donald doesn't need anything, much of anything anymore. So, sorry to say. And he will later tell the court that there was also some blood drinking there that happened. Uh, and he basically, Donald's blood wasn't enough for him, so he had to get some Amy blood, too. I doubt that. I don't think, I don't think he really... He he just did that to make himself look crazy because he was he was playing the he was playing the whole crazy um, whenever we'll get into it a little bit later, but to try to get out of the responsibility uh, of murdering these people, he he claimed to drink blood, hoping that he'd get the insanity plea. I don't think he actually did. Exactly, no. I agree with you, and I also wonder if he had heard of Peter Curtin. Uh, it is It is around that time, isn't it? I mean, that was 1931 that Peter Curtin was executed, um, and this is in the 1940s. It'll be, you know, a couple more years before he gets the uh, spoilers, but we're talking about him, so busted. Um, but, yeah, and, and he doesn't seem to learn from when people get beheaded by the guillotine, which was, again, what happened to Peter Curtin. So he doesn't seem I, to learn from that. He just seems to learn from what I, they said and did. I am also curious as to why uh, the prison library has books on serial killers, because it seems like that's where he did a lot of his research. Yeah, either they have books or maybe they get newspapers and they just don't really like censor it at all. Although, granted, the, the that other the French serial killer was, I believe, in 1925. So that would be old. So maybe it wasn't a book. Yeah. Yeah. Why does the prison library have books on serial killers? That's a great question. <laughs> and acid to dip mice in. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. This is a weird jail. It's and I God help me. I don't know why. But anytime somebody says the name Peter Curtin, and I know who Peter Curtin is, but for some reason my mind immediately goes to 1950s comedian Peter Curtin. <laughs> that is true. I didn't think about that. He just that is not the name that you think of with a serial killer. Peter Curtin. Good old Peter Pete. Curtin. Pete's funny. Did you see him on the Jack Benny show last night? Fucking hilarious. <laughs> no. No, he's a fucking killer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A terrible one. Um, John Hay, he does basically the same thing with uh, Donald and Amy McSwan that he did to William McSwan. Uh, he kills them, puts them in the vats of acid, uh, almost definitely like 150 percent sure so a lot more than almost definitely he did not drink the blood i'm on i'm with scott on this i have a feeling amber's there too right yep yeah uh he ends up stealing eight thousand pounds from them that is four hundred and thirty one thousand dollars in today's american currency damn damn that'll buy us shit that um he made a false go ahead that that always stuns me like, uh, could you do that today? Like, get that much money from murdering somebody without being a hitman? Well, one thing that he did was he made a false power of attorney for mil for mil 
<laughs> for William McSwan, I am struggling so much with names today. <laughs> uh, and then he forged a deed and sold everything. So if you can manage to do that and get it past the authorities, but I think it's a lot, it's a lot, definitely a million times harder today. And it's a million times easier to get caught. So I kind of don't think you could get away with it. God, it just <laughs> seems like. Like, these guys almost got away with it, which makes me think a lot of people got away with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're right. There's there's the ones that we haven't heard of. You know, the best the best serial killer is the one that you've never heard of. So, yeah. Well, he... And also, going back to the divorce thing, the reason it wasn't so popular is because it was really easy to poison your spouse. So... <laughs> there is that, yes. There are other methods, other things we can do. It's a lot easier to poison your spouse than get a divorce when you have to prove that they sodomized you. Um, we have other cases that we've talked about where they, you know, a, a woman would be like, I want to get a divorce from him. So doctor, can you, can you prove, will you, will you sign this affidavit that he sodomized me? And the doctor's like, nah, not, I don't, I don't feel like it. <laughs> maybe if you let me sodomize you, maybe we can see about getting those papers signed. Hey, wait a second. <laughs> Somebody's going to sodomize somebody and that's the way it's going to go. <laughs> Hand me the um, Bible. I need to do a little research. <laughs> William Hay manages to kind of fend off questions by telling uh, people that the the McSwans went to America. He just likes to pick a country out of nowhere. He's like, they went to Scotland. They went to America. And he looks through all their papers so that any questions that are put to him, he can answer. They're never even reported missing. Dang. That is horrifying. Wow. These aren't like a vulnerable population that you would expect that from. I mean, it, it sucks when that happens. These are people who have like business relationships and friends and everything. And everybody's just like, you seen the McSwans? No, not for the last four years. Oh, okay. They went to Kenya. <laughs> they're, they're in the new world. The next world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's at this point that he says, although this is one of the, we're going to come up in, into a couple of murders we don't get many details of and there's never any proof of, that he supposedly murdered a middle-aged woman from Hammersmith. So, but we don't know much about that. He, at this point, gets rooms at the Onslow Court Hotel, which is the preferred lodging of wealthy elderly widows. Ooh. Now, this is not a cheap place to stay. The charge is uh, five pounds and five shillings a week plus a 10% service charge, which is about $311 per week today, which for a fancy place, okay, yeah, that is cheap. Like you're, you'd be lucky to get like one or two nights for 311 But still, when you, when you make that your permanent place of, of residence, that adds up. Making all that sweet, sweet murder money. Mm -hmm. Yeah right? He told people he was an officer for the Union Engineering Group, which had branches in four towns, and he's making a lot of this up. Uh, in the fall of this year, he supposedly murdered a young man named Max, who hailed from Kensington. Again, no proof of that. And we have a description from Jonathan Oates, who wrote a book about, uh, about John Hay. Uh, I love this. This description is very uh, evocative. 
What strikes one immediately about him is how neat his appearance is. His shoes always shine and his black hair and neat little mustache is always glossy. He's perhaps a little on the short side, about five feet, six inches, but he's always ready to smile and reveal his flawless white teeth. His clothing is immaculate too. As one got to see him about the place, it was obvious that he had at least a dozen well-made suits. He often wore a garment, perhaps socks or his tie, that was red. Fucking hell, the goddamn mustache for the second time in a week. That mustache, <laughs> it, it, you knew better. World War II it's, was going on. You fucking knew better. <laughs> it's haunting us and it's getting worse. Jesus Christ. Also during this time period, he meets one George Stevens of Crawley, who is a fellow engineer, if we can call Hay an engineer. And Stevens invites Hay. He's like, hey, come stay in my house for a bit. And as one does, Hay starts something up with Crawley's daughter, Barbara, who is 15 when they meet. And he's 35. Ew. Mm. She's a child. <sighs> uh, she was also super into music, so they bonded on that. That's so he gross. That, okay, that is, I'm really sorry. Gross. That is disgusting. I am 35 years old. I would never look at a 14 or 15 year old person and be like, mm, no, that's nasty. Like, <laughs> It's horror. Yeah, it's horrifying. I'm, I'm sorry to any 15 year olds listening. I'm sure you're all very nice people, but we're definitely not attracted to you. <laughs> no, my daughter is 17. Like that. Yeah. It's creepy to me. Yeah. Yeah. That's. Ew. And he's friends with her father, so who must have condoned uh, this too. So like, yeah, it, but he had a, some afterthoughts later. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, I'm not gonna lie. I'm 46 years old. My my girlfriend is 29. 28, be 29 soon. Whenever I think about the age difference, it bothers me just a smidge. I mean, I can but like you're both adults, right? Right. Exactly. Had you met when she was 10 then we probably wouldn't be friends anymore because that's like <laughs> and yeah. rightfully so i wouldn't want to anyone to be friends with me <laughs> jesus christ now john hay he likes to gamble and the money starts running out around 1947 he makes kind of an acquaintance friendship with a uh, dr archibald henderson and his wife rose henderson uh, Archibald Henderson is 52. Rose Henderson is 41. They're friends for about five months before he's like, "Hey, I got this uh, this workshop over in Sussex. You gotta you gotta come to it." And this one is not a KFC; it's just a regular house now. Um, whereupon he shot them with a gun that he stole from their house. Jesus, right? He likes to kill people with things that are somehow related to them. At this point in time, the 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 pinball machine leg, their own gun, which was, by the way, for the ballistics people, a thirty-eight caliber Webley. He did his acid and oil drums thing again, and next to their initials in his diary for that day, there was a red cross. So we see that again. And the, the red, what do you guys think about the red and the, the red cross, the, the fascination with red, like a red clothing item? I believe he had a red car at one point. Uh, what do you guys think? It is definitely, psychologically, and, and I'm no psychologist, but psychologically, it's a bloodless thing. It's, it's absolutely a bloodless thing. It's ingrained in every one of us. There's a reason why 
Stop signs and stoplights are red. It's a warning sign. On some primal level, whenever a human being sees the color red, they are reminded of blood. That makes a lot of sense, yeah. This episode is sponsored by Best Fiends. So, I really needed a break from all the crime, guys. It's a lot of crime. So, I opened up Best Fiends and I played some and it was really, really refreshing. It was, it's so challenging, but at the same time casual that it, it, it really gets my brain going. I completely agree with that, actually. I do the same thing just when I need like a moment to refresh. So what levels are you guys on? It's time for the level check. Who's going to win? It's going to be Amber. It's going to be Amber. No, it's going to be Christy. So I'm on, I believe, um, 1,258. I believe I may be on 350. I win again. 1,447. You guys will get there. You'll get there. (laughs) One day. One day. It's really fun. It's a unique and exciting puzzle experience, unlike other puzzle games out there. You get to collect tons of cute characters. We all love the axolotl. I just want to hug him and tell him it's going to be okay. And come here, I'll protect you from the slugs. It's going to be you and me. And I've got this big bag of salt. No worries. Engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. With the the bloodless thing, when we say that, obviously we don't mean you know we've said we don't believe that he actually drank the blood, but definitely he was real cool with spilling it. Not not a problem for him. He definitely stuck his dick in a jar of it. I know that for a fact. Okay. So I, I want to hop on the color red here because he was raised in, in like the Bible thumper community. So uh, the color red in spirituality actually uh, represents power, energy, vitality, dominance, action, assertion, creation, survival, and passion. Um, so uh, when it appears in your life, it usually represents that you're ready to take action on a new goal or project that you've been putting off. He, he liked to do that. <laughs> this is what happens whenever you're part of a religion that is associated with ritualized cannibalism. <laughs> so he, he might have been, been using that. Like, I don't know if his religion specifically does the same thing, but the color red is, is like a new goal, a new start. Like... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, maybe. You might be onto something there. Huh. He does some forgery and manages to sell all of their shit for 8,000 pounds, which I don't need to tell you is probably about the same amount, around 430,000. He does keep their car, and this hurts my heart, their dog, Pat, which also Pat the dog. Pat the dog. They were kind of a eccentric, you love to party you know, kind of couple, the the, the Hendersons. Um, and people that they know are very much like, where the hell did they go? He will write to people that they know, trying to keep everything undercover. Rose's brother is really like, I, sh- I should go to the police, shouldn't I? I think I should go to the police. He writes a 15-page letter to Rose's brother that is, I believe, supposed to be from Rose. 
And this time he says, oh, they just up and moved to South Africa. Everybody who knows this guy just suddenly moves. It's real weird. It's almost like uh, they don't like him. And <laughs> it's almost like they're trying to get away. And also, uh, you can't call the police because Dr. Henderson kind of did an illegal, you know, oopsie, no baby no more. And they'll get in trouble if you go to the police. I'm sure that once the sludge went down into the uh, into the drain in the basement, and some of it did go to Africa once it hit the ocean. That's so entirely it's possible, yes. Not an actual lie. Do you guys like my euphemism for abortion? <laughs> no babies, no more. Yeah. Oopsie, no babies, no more. <laughs> um, that's, yeah. Uh, he also... This is so weird. Okay, I read an account that had some information from an employee of the hotel. They kept on calling her a domestic. Uh, this was in the advertiser out of Adelaide, Australia. She was originally, she'd come to Australia after working at the hotel for a while. And she said she hung out with him quite a bit. She would actually go on like picnics and stuff with him. She said he kept two pictures of Dr. Henderson on his mantelpiece. Wow. I'm sorry. I just, I'm, I've been coming up with terms for abortion. I, I didn't hear, <laughs> didn't hear a I single word you said. It. It's my fault. Yes, he kept two pictures of Dr. Henderson on his mantle at the hotel. Nope. I just keep running through my head. Fetus deletus. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. But why, why Henderson? Why not the rest of them? I don't know. It's really weird. And he kept his dog. There's some sort of weird connection there that I can't figure out. He also had uh, this employee at one point opened a drawer. She was sewing a button back on for him or something. And he's like, oh, the thread's in the drawer or something like that. So she opened a drawer. She saw a stethoscope. And she also saw their clothing ration books. And it's said that he would use the this the employee of the motel was named uh, the employee of the hotel was named Margaret Moran. Uh, it was discovered that he used the, the ration cards. He would exchange those for meat to feed the dog. He was very much in love with the dog. There was a lot going on with the dog. He, at one point, the dog was sickly. And somebody said, you know, a, a, an actual veterinarian said it should be put down. And he was like, no, no death. No. I mean, obviously, your pet, you have a hard time putting it down. But you killed people. No, but you know what? That was one of the things about his childhood. He actually claimed that he was bleak and lonely. He didn't have any friends. The only thing he had were a couple of pets and his neighbor's dog. That is true. If he had been allowed more human connection during his childhood, he probably would have been empathetic enough to not kill people. You know, he probably would have been able to form attachments um, and then not end them with a, a gunshot and sulfuric acid. Yeah, like so I get the dog because that that was like his only his only attachments were animals, but I don't get the pictures on the mantle and the stethoscope. Like it doesn't make sense to me why he would have saved trinkets from one person and not the other what four are we up to five people all together? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're this is this is five people all together. Yeah, it's very strange. I can't make heads or tails of it. If you have a theory, let us know on our social media, honestly. We're super curious if you have any ideas. Facebook, Insta, Twitter, we're old-timey crimey, and come tell us, because we have no idea. Maybe these maybe these were the only trophies that people recognized as trophies. He might have kept other things from his other victims, but... Oh, That's true. Yeah, but these... You know, but a what? picture? Yeah. Two pictures. 
I don't know. Two pictures. I don't know. It. Do you think he was in love with them? Possibly. Maybe they reminded possible. him of. Maybe. Maybe they were the parents he always wanted. Oh. Yeah, that's possible. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, really, really weird. Uh, the same employee, Margaret Moran. Margaret Moran would say. He was a kind gentleman who wouldn't hurt a fly. He was very pleasant and deeply devoted to his mother. No, flies. Yeah, flies were fine. If you were a human, look the fuck out. <laughs> yeah, especially if you were a human with money. Which, speaking of, by 1949, he's broke again. He owes the hotel 49 pounds. He is overdrawn at the bank by 83 pounds. In today's American currency, that adds up to $5,840. Ouch. Eh, pulls it collar. Um, he was borrowing money. Things were getting pretty desperate. And there was this acquaintance of his who also lived at the Onslow Court Hotel, the wonderfully named Mrs. Henrietta Helen Olivia Robarts Duran Duncan. Damn! Right? She was like, I have seven names, but you're going to give me one more by marrying me. And yes, I'm double barreling that shit. <laughs> because... She is 68. She's a wealthy widow, and she has this idea for an invention. Artificial nails. Hmm. So she... I know, right? This could be something. She approaches, you know, she's got this, this acquaintance who's known as an engineer. He invents stuff. She approaches John Hay on Valentine's Day of 1949 and says, can you, can you help me with this? I, I want to look at some ideas for this and see if this could be a thing. And this makes me so crazy because he could have made some honest money here. Artificial nails were not otherwise invented until 1954 when a dentist broke a nail. I, I'm not going to lie to you. I was literally just Googling that because I was like, I bet she was the first one with that idea. It really was. <laughs> it could have happened. It's absolutely insane to me that like he had this uh, uh, possibility of making money and instead he's like, yeah, she's going to come to my workshop. Uh, I'm going to start gathering some materials. So he looks, he gets 30 gallons of acid. He gets some drums and he's like, come to my workshop and we'll chat about it. Oh, oh, this poor woman. Um, she had such an idea. It could have been really something. And she was a wealthy widow. She probably didn't have a whole lot else to do besides like have tea and crumpets and talk to her wealthy widow friends. Who probably yeah. all were like, I broke a nail. <laughs> So on February 18th, 1949, he brings her to his workshop. He, she is bent over looking at, uh, like, he's got some red paper to distract her. He's like, oh, the nails could be this color here. She, she's looking at the paper. And at that point, he shoots her with the Webley. Yeah, he puts her in the acid. But of course, before he does that, he strips her of her jewels and her fur coat because he's not one to you know, put money down the drain, although he won't put this down the drain. He'll just put it into the ground. That'll come back up. And then he goes back to the hotel for a nice three-course meal. Tasty. Yum. Ugh, gross. Um, people start worrying about our lovely Mrs. Henrietta Helen Olivia Roberts Gerard Duncan. <laughs> the next day on Saturday and he says well we had an appointment yesterday and she just didn't show up weird so odd that she would flake like that 
On Sunday, he talks to her friend Constance Lane, who is super worried and planning to go to the police. And he's like, I'll go with you. And here comes policewoman Sergeant Lanborn, guys. A woman police officer? Next, they they'll a, make a black man president. They let a woman <laughs> out of the house. <laughs> and she is suspicious from the second he opens his mouth. She's like, sums up with this guy. I just know it with my womanly senses. My womanly ears, my womanly eyes. I'm having a woman's. Nose. I'm having a woman's period. <laughs> <laughs> so the next day, they start to look into him. I imagine she was like all over everybody's ass. She was like, "No, this guy. Seriously, this guy. You need to look into him." And they uh, see all the stints in jail, all the fraud. Uh, at the same time, he's uh, that they're doing this almost like simultaneously. He's taking that sludge and he's dumping it uh, into the ground outside the workshop. So there goes uh, Mrs. Duran Deacon and or her sludge. And there's there, I guess there's not a manhole or a sewer grate that's handy where he can do this without attracting a lot of attention because people are people are going to look, I think, if you, you know, I think people are gonna, right <laughs> Like, if you would carry a barrel somewhere and then just stop and dump it out into a manhole cover, yes, people will be concerned and curious. Yeah. Almost yeah, as if think. you know this from experience. Yeah, I think so. Hmm. So the police want to talk to him back at the hotel, and he just basically gives them the same spiel about, hey, yeah, I had an appointment with her. She missed the appointment. They talk to him again on Thursday, and he gives them the same statement. And on Saturday, finally, they break into the workshop. They find a gas mask, rubber apron, empty carboys, a 38 caliber revolver, and a dry cleaning receipt for a black Persian lamb coat. You know she was wealthy as shit when she was wearing a black Persian lamb coat. I don't even know how expensive that is. Probably very. It's not cheap. Yeah, right? Because, I mean, that's the first I've ever heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've heard of like lamb coats and lambskin and everything, but definitely black Persian lambskin, not a thing I know about. Um, and on Monday, they ask for his help with the investigation. They're like, yeah, we, you're so smart. You, you are so smart. I bet you could help us with the investigation, right? So why don't you come down to the station? And so he comes and before the night is over, he's confessed. I, I hate this guy. I know, right? I fucking hate I'm... this guy. And he, whenever he's sitting there, it, like he he confesses, but he's fucking smug about confessing. He's incredibly smug about confessing. And at one point, like the guy, the officer actually goes, uh, goes, uh, well, you know, he'll come back in a bit. Do you want do you want a magazine to read anything like that? And he goes, no, no, it won't be long, will it? And <laughs> and he goes. Yeah, well, he goes, well, what is he doing? He goes, he's trying to get you fucking hung for murder. And he goes, well, <laughs> you can't do that um, because there's no body. So you're not, you're not going to be able to. And they go, oh, yeah, we can. We totally can. As a matter of fact, we're, we're going to. And he goes, oh, okay. So what if I'm insane? And they go, well, then you'll be taken to the insane asylum. He goes, does anybody ever get out of there? And the guy just goes, Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> and then, like, the other cop comes back and goes, oh, and by the way, I drank blood. Ha 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 
Yeah, he basically flat out tells them, I destroyed her with acid. Here's where you can find that sludge. And you can't prove it because there's no body. And they're like, you just told us. That's our proof. And we'll get some others. Don't worry. Don't worry. He had this fascination with the legal standard of corpus delecti. We talked about this in the Golden Seppi case, if you've listened to that episode. Basically, the, the idea that you have to prove that a crime was committed before you can convict somebody of it. Which he basically is like, well, you can't prove that a murder was done if you can't find the body, so I'm good. And they're like, uh, we'll, we'll work this out. We'll figure it out. Um, he also, he goes ahead and he says all the ones that he killed and then the other three, which uh, we mentioned two of them, there was uh, a few more details on those I found was Max was young-ish, I'm imagining like late teens, no jewelry and not much money. Uh, the woman from Hammersmith was 35 years old. It just it's... Black Persian lamb coats uh, go for about five grand, apparently. Oh, wow. Damn. I only found a handful. A lot of them are made with either fake fur or partial fake fur or partial mink. But the ones that are actually 100% um, black Persian lambskin are about $5,000. Whoa, that's a lot of money on a coat. Sorry, it took me a while to find that because the only ones I could find were like two grand used on Poshmark. And I'm like, <laughs> no, not no. at all. That's, that's interesting information. I was curious about that because she, you know, she must have had some money. Um, he, uh, the 35 year old woman from Hammersmith, he brought over to his flat. Um, and he said, quote, I tapped her on the head with a kosh and tapped her for blood. And I hate the word, the phrasing tapped her on the head. It actually makes my head hurt more than somebody saying more violent words like smashed or bashed or anything like that. It really, it, it, it tapped actually somehow hurts worse. Yeah. Yeah. Like it might've taken two or three whaps. Yeah, it hurts. I don't know why. And then Mary, uh, a girl in Eastbourne, he basically says exactly the same thing with her. He doesn't give details like we, we get, you know, with the other things. So there's never, never any real proof. He, I'm going to say he probably did kill them. They just weren't, didn't have any money. So we don't have paper trails, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm thinking you're probably right on that. Yeah, so, I mean, normally when, when serial killers try to add victims to their tally that don't suit their M.O., I'm like, eh, not really. But these could certainly suit his M.O. as long as he did the acid thing with him, you know? So, um, they get a pathologist, Dr. Keith Simpson, uh, to come over and take a look at the workshop. And he finds the following bloodstains on the wall, a hat pin at the bottom of a 45-gallon drum, gallstone in the, the sludge in the yard, uh, dentures dentures that were later identified as Duran Deacons by her dentist, Helen Mayo. Oh, lady dentist! Lady Helen, dentist! Lady dentist and lady cops! My god, it's no wonder men are going nuts and killing people. <laughs> Shouldn't you be pregnant and barefoot behind a stove? How are you going to cook with teeth? Oh, preposterous! <laughs> so they uh, also find uh, a handle of a handbag that is later matched to the rest of the handbag, which is found in the yard, and is identified as Mrs. Duran Deacon's handbag. They eventually take up all the... Or they also find a lipstick container. Uh, and then they, they, when they see the gallstone, that's what makes them like, okay, we, we need to 
get this sludge up. So they gather up 475 pounds of grease and earth and take it to the lab. That's nuts. That is nuts. I mean, it's the good kind of, like, really diligent nuts, but that's nuts. They find in it 28 pounds of animal fat, and you know what animal that was. Because um, he would never hurt a fly or a dog or a cat, not that anyone should, um, but he would sure as hell hurt a wealthy widow. Part of a foot, uh, 18 fragments of human bone, two more gallstones, and that foot actually is, this is really interesting, they make a plaster cast of the foot once they put all the, you know, it all back together, and it fits into one of Mrs. Duran Deacon's shoes. Fuck, that's creepy. That is creepy. Fuck, that's creepy. <laughs> it's the worst game of Cinderella ever. <laughs> yes, it is. That's very true. Uh, they find out that he buys carboys of sulfuric acid. He has an acid-proof steel canopy that he uses for a trough. And then once they figure out that they need to start looking at missing persons, they send out 100 investigators to interview friends and relatives of possible victims. So they're looking at all the missing persons that they can find, and they're, they're going to those people's friends and family to see if anybody has seen this, you know, guy with a red tie and a Hitler stash hanging around. Motherfucker. Hey. Fucking mustache. <laughs> it's the mustache. I can guarantee two things. There's a head injury in his past and the mustache. Does the mustache cause the head injury, or do you get the head injury and decide on the mustache? I don't I know. Think, I think you get the head injury and then decide for the Hitler stash. I'm with Amber. Yeah. Yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> they do track down his wife, uh, Beatrice Hammer. Uh, she basically, in 1943, she completely vanished. Uh, and she basically says, could you just not tell him or anyone where I am? Please, just that little favor, please. Which tells me that she believed every word and was terrified of him and had good reason already. The, re the, the fact that she completely vanished says a lot. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. How, how, how often do I go back to visit my family? <laughs> yeah. so but, he... but she also gave up their daughter for adoption, which I wonder wasn't a, a ploy to make sure that he never came calling for her. Yeah, that's a good point. Mm. I think she had, she was already kind of hesitant about the marriage, but went into it anyhow. And then when everything happened, she was probably like, I was right. I was right. I should listen to my instincts. And my instincts tell me to stay the fuck away from him. So that's what I'm going to do now. <laughs> so the trial, he goes for the insanity plea. As we said, he says, I have these dreams about a forest of blood. There's this mystic dream world of bloody trees. And in 1944, I was in this car accident and I bled into my mouth. And that just made me really thirsty for blood. And this all was supposedly him drinking the blood and killing people was the wish of his controlling spirit. And this was his divinely appointed path. Nice try, but no. I wonder if he actually <laughs> was in the car accident. He lies about everything, so, yeah. you know, it's 50-50 one way or the other. Um, he probably, I think mean, there's also probably stuff that happens in his life that he then incorporates into reality in some way with a lie. Like, the dream about the forest of blood, he very well could have had that. It could just, he woke up the next day and he was like, huh, well, if I ever need to cop an insanity play, I'll give that a shot. Yeah, I don't have dreams about forests of blood. Let me tell you about the last dream I had. The, the last dream that I remember having was I was in a spaceship with uh, the ghost of Adolf Hitler. No lie. <laughs> huh. 
Hitler's ghost was talking to me going like, I'm really upset that people see me badly. And I said, well, you need to lose the mustache and redo the hair. And I said, maybe people aren't going to recognize you as Hitler after you do that. I don't know why I was giving advice to Hitler. But then Hitler's zombie comes walking around. Now, this makes perfect sense because it's Hitler's ghost. It's no longer inhabiting the body that's now zombified. And instead of getting angry, like Hitler's just very embarrassed of the way his zombie's acting. Flash forward, for some reason now, I'm in my grandmother's backyard uh, planting the garden with my mom and dad. All of a sudden, a giant Victorian rocket filling up a full eighth of the sky rockets forward. And it's filling the sky. My mom and dad and me are looking up. There's dragons and monsters filling the sky. And I go over to the other garden that my grandmother had, and Leslie Nielsen is in there. And he's <laughs> fighting a hundred Donald Trump clones. And me and Leslie Nielsen start punching Donald Trump clones in the face. And then I woke up happy. Okay, so what what do you smoke before bed to have dreams like this? Because I usually just have really inappropriate sex dreams. Yeah, pizza. I feel like yours are way more fun. I smoke pizza. <laughs> Amber, smoke pizza. I'll try that it. That is wonderfully insane, and I loved it. <laughs> I loved every second. And Scott, I also loved this. Scott in general is wonderfully insane. I yeah. think that's a really good descriptor. <laughs> yes. I love the, the familiar disorientation of dream traveling. Like you said, suddenly I'm in my grandma's garden and it's like, yes, I love that. How like what you, you teleport in dreams and it's like ever so slightly disorienting, but you're also like, of course I'm here. Huh. I had completely forgotten that I was on a spaceship with Hitler's ghost. Yeah. <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> um, John Hay at this point is still seeing Barbara Stevens. She goes to visit him every week uh, between the arrest and the trial. He writes her about a letter a week. And uh, she says she kind of looks back at the days uh, that she, when, once the details start coming out and the dates that all the, the big events in this case happened. She says, eh, I can remember a lot of really memorable days around the dates of the killings and disposals. Quote, he had admitted his love for her the same week he had killed Mac. That's uh, McSwan, William. They had spent a wonderful day together only two days after he had disposed of McSwan's parents. They had talked about marriage while he killed the Hendersons, even selling her a dress from the deceased. And did you catch that? He didn't give her a dress. He sold it. Jesus Christ. Oh, you Christ. like this dress? 50 pounds. And let's not forget, <laughs> this guy's a pedophile. Can you imagine what kind of pedophile? Hey, little kid, want to buy some candy? <laughs> <laughs> Also, to tag onto Amber's joke, 50 pounds is what the original owner now weighs. Ah. <laughs> Ew, I grossed myself out. Yep. And the day after Olive Duran Deacon died, they had a very pleasant tea together. And we have one of those letters. Uh, we'll, we'll post it, but um, should I go ahead and read it? Because it's kind of interesting. Go sure. for it. All right. So, Barbara Darling. Many, many thanks for coming to see me yesterday. It grieves me that it was such a shocking ordeal for you. Oh, by the way, this was on April 4th, 1949, so not too long after he was arrested. I suppose no one knows better than you do how difficult it is to upset my calm, but I can assure you that irrespective of superficial appearance, I was very badly shaken. I have never in my life seen a face so utterly convulsed in sheer agony of sorrow, and what could I do about it with a large sheet of glass between us? Darling, if only I could have met 
you normally, I would have left no doubt in your mind as to whether the last five years have meant anything to me or not. Surely you must know that I have loved you intensely during that time. How foolish of you to ask why I hadn't murdered you. Yes, I just said that sentence. Of course, I had millions of opportunities. I know that. But the idea never even crossed my mind. I wouldn't have hurt a hair on your head. The other business is something entirely separate and different. With the other business, he's talking about the actual murders he committed. There was, <laughs> yeah, he calls it the other business. There was no affection involved there. I know the papers talked of six widows, but they haven't got the whole story yet. There were men as well as women. How many? I don't know. Probably a dozen or more. And it was not their money, but their blood that I wanted. You were very perceptive yesterday. You did, you did really sum up the position rightly. These two things had to go on together. It was kind of you to ask if you should write to my mother. Yes, I think you should. I'd like you to, and the greater kindness would be to explain what you told me yesterday. Not that you thought it was her fault, but about the people of whom I used to laugh. She'd take that better than anything, darling. Yeah. Um, and that's, we have this letter, like, actually, like, they, they've sold a bunch of his stuff at auction in several, the past, you know, many years. And this is actually, I'm not reading from a transcript of it. I'm reading from, like, looking at an actual picture of the copy. So it's kind of creepy. <clears throat> um, yeah. Uh, he asked her to go visit his mother, and I find it interesting. I'd like you to go visit her and talk about the thing that we talked about not the part where you said it was probably my mother's fault <laughs> what about t tell her tell her about the people i used to laugh at and i'm like i don't understand the people you used to laugh at thing but i totally get the mother's fault and uh yeah and also the dad their fault they're kind of i mean it's his fault too he definitely bears all full responsibility but when you raise your children you have some responsibility for if they turn into monsters who dissolve bodies with sulfuric acid you know yeah a little bit a little bit a little bit uh and Barbara Stevens is pretty honest with herself. It takes her a while, but she's like, eventually she's like, yeah, he'd probably have killed me eventually. So smart girl. I would say, yeah. I would say, yeah. 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 Um, in April, a daily, a London daily mirror editor is actually jailed for three months for contempt of court because he published articles that called Hay a murderer and Hay had not been uh, convicted yet. So can't, can't do that. <laughs> um, the trial lasted two days. He joked around with people. He bantered people. He did the crossword as the Crown Prosecutor addressed the jury. This is boring. Is it almost over? <laughs> yeah, at one point he made a mistake in the crossword, so he turned to one of the, 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 the guards and he was like, you got an eraser? I need, I need an eraser. I need to fix this. I wrote it. I wrote Aria when I meant soprano. That doesn't make any sense. I know. I, I just, could, could you please? <laughs> I need a six letter word for executed begins with H. You and the jury. Do you, do you, uh, do you have a, a word for me? Yes. Guilty. <laughs> that doesn't start with an H. Well, oh, thank you. Wait. <laughs> Um, a odd little note from one of the newspaper articles I read, Robert Montgomery was at the trial watching more closely than John Hay himself was. He is an American actor and the father of actress Elizabeth Montgomery of Bewitched. Ooh, early crush of mine. Ooh, yeah, she's pretty. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so a... <laughs> 
the jury was, according to a reporter for, again, the, the advertiser out of Adelaide, Australia, quote, with only one exception, they are all middle-aged or elderly, and what was quite strange to me, one of them was a woman. <sighs> Not again! Another Women everywhere! Woman, another woman has left the house! Jesus Christ, it's like half of all the people in the world are women! <laughs> Who's doing the cooking? <laughs> oh, the Chinese. Okay, never mind. <laughs> Thank God. Ooh. Have those boys build a railroad. <laughs> so, the Crown uh, calls 33 witnesses to the stand to prove premeditation. Uh, one psychiatrist who is brought up says that John Hay has a, quote, paranoid constitution, which apparently... Hitler also had that mustache making sense now, eh? Fucking stash. <laughs> it was said that he was an eccentric paranoiac who knew it was wrong to kill but thought it was okay if he did it. Um, the eccentric paranoiac, the paranoid constitution, is described in one source as, quote, a complete and permanent alteration of the entire personality which overwhelmed the mental outlook and conduct as of the victim. And when we say victim, apparently we're talking about this guy who devolved people in acid. That Wish sounds... you guys could see the face I just made. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> uh, the deliberation. Uh, I want to play the Jeopardy theme while all of our listeners yell uh, at the speaker or their car or their headphones or whatever, thin air, their cat, um, how long the, the deliberation took. Because this is such a big theme with our, our cases. It's it's always pretty brief. So do, 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 do. Do, 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 do. It was 15 minutes. <laughs> that was also a copyright strike. Oh, I was humming. Yeah. And it was off key, so it doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> it was off key. The one time, that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, it saved us. Uh, <laughs> it was either the Jeopardy theme or happy birthday. <laughs> either way, we're in trouble. Yeah. Um, okay, it was, uh, it was Handel's Messiah. There all right, it is. I'll admit it. It was totally Handel's Messiah. Uh, they declare him guilty and he gets the death penalty uh, the day of his sentencing 4,000 people crowd around outside the courthouse hoping for a seat and I have news for probably about 3,900 of them <laughs> not happening <laughs> uh, Barbara Stevens who is now 20 says quote I shall never forget him he was always the perfect gentleman most considerate and kind and always welcome in our home and he tells her, look, I obviously didn't get to finish my work down here, so I'm going to get reincarnated because I just pull whatever works for me out of my ass and run with it. And so I'll see you later. I'll see you later, girl. I'll see you later. Let me come back from the dead and I'm going to tap that ass. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, the newspapers also get in touch with his mother, who is now 80. And she says... Quote, about my son, I wish to say nothing. Throughout the past months, he has written to me every day from prison, and I've written back. She doesn't see him before the execution. Mm. How long has it been, do you think, since she's seen her son? Since, like, uh, he uh, went to jail and, and, you know, left his kid to be adopted? So, yeah. Yeah. Like about 15 years or so? About yeah. that. Kinda, about that. Kind of crazy. He didn't, he didn't follow the Bible. It's his fault. Yeah, that's cold. That's cold. But she's an angel, so, you know. Um, the newspapers for all this time, they really take this vampire angle and they run it. 
straight into the ground, much like John Hay dumped sludge into the ground. Um, that's probably one of the worst metaphors I've ever made. Um, it's up there. It's yeah, it's, it's definitely <laughs> top, top ten, top ten, maybe hitting the top five. Uh, you really got to compete to get into my bad metaphors. So. <laughs> it's only uh, in the years since all this happened that it's become more established that yeah, he really did it for the money. Uh, there, newspapers also always call him some sort of like business executive or owner of a plastics factory. There's all kinds of different titles that he has that none of them are true. He's a business vampire. He's a business vampire liar. <laughs> a vamp liar. He, he wanted to do a trial run of the hanging, you guys. He wanted a dress rehearsal. Oh, my God. Oh, Jesus fucking yeah. Christ. He said that his weight was deceptive and he would, uh, quote, not like any hitch, end quote. But as far as we know, that didn't actually happen. It's only stated that he requested it. Um, he is offered a brandy before the hanging, and his response was, Make it a large one, old boy. Nice. Thank you. Uh, a little in note of interest, the daily ration of cigarettes on death row at this time was ten. Well. About half a pack. We can't have these people dying of cancer before we kill them. No, no. Right. Just stretch it out. And... On August 10th, 1949, he is executed. Uh, it drew a crowd of about 500. Now, these are not, you know, this is not medieval times where everybody watched The Hanging or, you know, like probably 1920s France or anything like that. But uh, it, they were just crowded around outside the prison. And so, yeah, they, they just basically like wait. And for um, in England at this time, the, they would come out and pin a notice to the door. And that's how you knew that the person was dead. I believe in France, if it, didn't happen I, I just i did a lot of reading these past few days so some stuff is mixed up but i believe in france when they did executions and they weren't in public view um a black flag went up uh at the prison to announce that somebody had been executed they just nailed the head to the door <laughs> yeah right um his cell door from the police station can be seen at the Horsham museum they they took that and they were they just the, the museum curator just came over and it was like like he had some guys like unscrewing the door and the, the the warden of the prison came down and was like, what the hell do you think you're doing? He's like, yeah, no, I need this door. That guy, that, that guy was batshit and I need it. It's just, it's, 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 it belongs in a museum. I have, I have a permit that says I can take it. It just hands the, hands the guy a piece of paper and says, yoink. And he's just, <laughs> guy looks up, dude's gone. Beautiful. Uh, he is immediately after his execution, added to Madame Tussaud's Chamber of Horrors. He had agreed for this with the stipulation that his waxwork was always kept spotless with his trousers neatly creased and the shirt cuffs showing and hair parted. Yes, and he even <laughs> gave them the clothes he wore to trial in his will. What I don't fucking hell. <laughs> And I have no idea how many times I looked at pictures and until I actually came upon the, and, and really like digested the whole, uh, like Madame Tussauds wax museum thing. Uh, I really realized how many of those pictures I looked at. I was like, oh, that was the wax work of him. <gasps> Shit. Yeah. It's a really good, it's a good likeness. It's an amazing likeness. So um, that is all I have on John George Hay, the acid bath murderer. Do you guys have anything else that I missed? He's uh. In the video game Clock Tower 3, 
Uh, he's actually a character in a video game. He's one of the subordinates. Uh, uh, he's based on and named after the killer in this. And then there was this weird, let me see if I can find it here. Bear with me for a second. Um, let's see, John Hay. There was a band that did a song about John Hay. American thrash death metal grindcore band Macabre recorded a song about Hay from their murder metal album called Acid Bath Vampire. And then Japanese... <laughs> Stoner slash doom metal band Church of Misery recorded a song about Hay entitled Make Them Die Slowly, parentheses John George Hay. That's the one. Stoner doom metal. That's a thing? Yeah. That's apparently a thing. It's such a legacy. I bet he's proud. (laughs) And the but the thing that killed me about that was the title is so inaccurate. Like that you know that they thought that he actually or or decided that their interpretation was that he put people alive into a, a, a bath of acid and killed them that way because none of these people actually died slowly. That was John George Hay, the acid bath murderer. Um, yeah. Um, don't forget to follow us on social media. As I said earlier, we're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. That's Old Timey Crimey. Also, our Patreon gonna have something special this week and possibly some more in the next coming weeks. It might be something we do maybe once a month or something after the Old Tiny Crimeys are put back behind the Patreon wall. And we might, you know, add this as an occasional little bonus, but we are reading from Old Timey newspapers and it's hilarious. If I do say so myself, I'm just I'm just giving you guys material to run with, really. <laughs> That's what I do. So, uh, yeah, it's very fun. It's a good time. So think about that. Patreon.com slash oldtimeycrimey. And we have different levels that you can can look at there and consider. We are also, you know, uh, we're, we're sluts. So if you want to leave a buck on the nightstand, uh, that is absolutely fine. And uh, you can cl- climb out the window afterwards. But you can do that by PayPaling us at oldtimeycrimey at gmail.com. I'll be your dirty and- whore. He absolutely will be, folks. I am actually not going to offer myself up on a public forum. So I'm good. <laughs> There's a first. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Ouch. I'm sorry. I love you. I love you. I had to, you, you left yourself wide open. Oh, uh, that's what yeah, said. There it is. No. Yeah. And this week's shout out is to our patron, Hallie Book or Haley Book. Not sure which way it is, but either way, we appreciate you very much. And thank you for being a private dick. So yeah, that is how you can support us. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on your various platforms where you can do that. It really does help us. It also makes our week, uh, and it's just something nice you can do. You can also tell your friends about us. If you're enjoying us, you know that those messed up weirdos that you call friends will also enjoy this shit. So tell them about Old Timey Crimey. Pick your favorite episode and say, give this a listen and tell me that these people are not fucked up in the perfect right way. Uh, and they'll uh, they'll probably agree. I'm just assuming, right, guys? Uh, absolutely, sure. Yeah. Why not? Yeah, they, they so. better. <laughs> so yeah, we have lots of stuff in the works for you. It's going to be a hell of a murdery summer. Uh, you guys doing anything special coming weekends? I just I I I am so tempted to run back to the lake. I don't think I mentioned it on this, but I mentioned it on the uh, on the Patreon episode. I'm so tempted to go back to the lake and look for that peacock I found in the middle of the woods. You should. You should. Absolutely. You really should. 
Yeah, do it. I want to be friends. Make friends with Gabriel. Gabriel, the Gabriel, the Johnstown Peacock. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I'm just uh, I'm doing the same thing yesterday that I did tomorrow and that I'll do next week and that I've done a year from now. I don't know what time is. I've said it a million times. It has no meaning anymore. Um, I'll probably cross-stitch, listen to some murder podcasts, and work on making a murder podcast or two, because that seems to be basically... I'm I'm really deep in the murder podcast world, you guys. <laughs> Real deep. It's like three feet of water above my head deep. <laughs> so, all right. We at Old Timey Crimey would like to thank you for listening to our filthy words. <laughs> we will see you next week. Bye! Bye! I want a glass of orange juice. How long does it take for a mouse to dissolve in that? Ew. Test it out, Scott. Let us know. This has a Science. very mousy flavor. <laughs> My sources are Katie Serena on All That's Interesting, Wikipedia, Anne Marie Hellmanstein, PhD on ThoughtCo, Murderpedia, and I feel like we need to give a quick shout out to what I feel is probably the guy who runs Murderpedia, Juan Ignacio Blanco, uh, Dr. Jonathan Oates and Dave Walker on the library Time Machine, The Advertiser via Trove, The Evening Star via the Library of Congress, and Crime and Investigation. My sources are the ever popular Murderpedia, the ever popular Wikipedia. The HistoryPress.co.uk article on the acid bath murders. The article on John Hay from CapitalPunishmentUK.org. BoredomTherapy.com and a wonderful video on YouTube. John George Hay, the acid bath murderer uh, from Carol Minshew's channel. Um, I have far less than you guys. I have Murderpedia and uh, Katie Serena's article on All That's Interesting. Mm-hmm.